everybody. We are back one more time for a little bit of fun and games with people from the St. Ambrose community. And today I'm very excited because we are joined with Kate Wilkins. Hi, Kate. Hello, how are you? Very, very well. Tell me, how are you going in this world gone a little bit topsy-turvy? Yeah, it's a little bit strange actually because I uh, went over to Tokyo for the Olympics and then I quarantined for two weeks and I was so excited to get home and see the family, um, which obviously got to do, but it was straight into lockdown pretty much the day I arrived. So um, yeah, I feel like I've been in lockdown actually for uh, an extra four weeks because we were in a fairly tight bubble when we were traveling and then I had the two weeks in quarantine. So yeah, I... uh, it's it's definitely a strange world we're in at the moment, but um, we're lucky to live in a place we do now and getting out and about, just being able to go to the beach and, um, and taking the boys down there has been fantastic. So uh, not complaining, that's for sure. Absolutely. Now, tell, tell me, for, for um, I actually don't know what exactly your job title would have been with the Australian Olympic surfing team. Can you tell me what, what, what do you do with them and, and tell me about what was it like being over there at an Olympics with no crowds? <laughs> yes. Um, well, my, my fancy title was head of delegation for the Australian uh, surfing team. So uh, my role, I actually just changed roles from uh, coaching at Surfing Australia about nine months ago to the high performance director. So it's been a pretty um, crazy nine months uh, and yeah, excited though to have been able to help uh, support the four athletes over in Tokyo and the team that went over with us. Um, yeah, it was a very, it was an amazing experience. We weren't sure if it was actually going to go ahead uh, as everyone did, but the AOC and the you know International Olympic Committee did an amazing job uh, at making it happen in Tokyo 2020. Just a lot of hoops to jump through, a um, lot of extra paperwork. I thought this job was going to be pretty busy, but it ended up extra crazy busy uh, with all the COVID protocols and just everything you've got to do um, to be able to travel internationally and, and take a team. We had seven staff and four athletes. So, yeah, we didn't actually have flights were getting cancelled the day before to leave the country and all sorts of things happening. So it was a pretty, pretty um, interesting time to... To, to go and it made it all the more special that yeah we had a great campaign and uh, we didn't get to um, medal some girls but uh, which was very disappointing but obviously uh, Owen did really well and got a bronze medal uh, yeah, so yeah it, was a, it was definitely yeah that was so that was very exciting but it was weird we, we stayed basically from the airport to um, we had you know special transport that could only take um, uh, delegates from the from the games. They weren't taking any public anywhere, and um, and we went straight from there to our hotel, which was an hour and a half from the centre of Tokyo, over in Chiba Province. And then we went from there to the event site, and that was it for the whole time. So we were in a pretty tight bubble within the Australian team. Uh, and then at the event, there was no compa- uh, no spectators. So that was um, yeah, felt a bit a bit strange because the site was so huge and not many people around but uh, the atmosphere was still great in that they created sort of a lot of lead up and music and just energy around it so it did feel very special when we were actually at the event. Wow, wow. I imagine the mindset of an of an elite athlete who is going to the Olympic Games. I mean, certainly everybody, uh, any athlete would want to compete at that level and, and in that arena but then to have it somewhat you know, taken away because 
there, there's no crowds. That must have really shifted a lot of people's focus, and it really must have. How did how did you handle that, and how did you see other people handling that? Well, I think we were lucky compared to a lot of sports because our athletes have been travelling for this year, doing competitions around the world. So they uh, have their world, the WSL um, World Championship tour, and that was going on. And then we also had an event over in El Salvador that I went with the the four surfers to qualify for this event. So um, we've done a lot of travel in the COVID sort of space and it was very normal for them not to have crowds. I think there a lot of um, sports that did go to the games had never experienced that. So it wasn't that different for the four surfers that we took over and probably a lot of the other um, surfers. But it, it was, and in a way it may have helped um, the anticipation because it didn't make it too big. It actually kept them focused on just their performance. Like, you know, I'm sure um, if you had, you know, a huge crowd and, and a bigger lead up, it actually, I don't know, some athletes may have dealt with it different differently. Um, but, yeah, they they all manage the expectations really well. They're all, you know, seasoned professionals and won huge events before. So they're, they're, they're amazing in that space. Uh, but we did try and, make sure that when we set up the, um, them arriving at the uh, hotel that we created a real Olympic feel so they got to have that experience because it's the first time surfing's ever been in the Olympics. Yes. So we wanted to make it special but then we also didn't want to go over the top and make it too much pressure so yeah. we balanced it pretty well. I felt, um, you know, we had excellent champions send them videos, messages and we had um, a bit of a dress rehearsal of all the uniforms and the... Um, they went to the athlete village for a night and got to do the march, and and then the night before the actual event, it was just really low key and normal. Like it, we we kind of went from one extreme of um, feeling like it's the Olympics to then oh we're just what, bunkered down in a hotel and just feeling like it could be any event. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we sort of tried to mix it up a bit between those two um, experiences so that it wasn't all too much, but. Uh, it was. It, it did still feel special. It did still feel like it was the Olympics, and we're getting lots of messages from home and and all the rest. And to have it to have surfing finally in the Olympics, it's just it's just amazing. A lot of work's obviously gone into that um, from from all around the world. Yes, yeah, I say um, it's a different organisation to the World Surf League. Uh, but yeah, the International Surfing Association has been around quite a long time, and the head of um, Advice is Fernando. He's uh, all, he's actually just always been his dream to create the opportunity for surfing to be in the Olympics. So, yeah, huge credit to him and his team for making it happen. There's been years and years of um, work that yeah they've they've done in compliance for the IOC to make this happen. And um, yeah, I think it is incredible because it it probably was just a far fetched dream only um, you know two cycles ago. Mm. So. Uh, to, to ha- see it happen, a lot of work did go into it, and they yeah they've done an amazing job at making it um, yeah portraying surfing for the how it is too. And I think that was always a bit of a question was how's it going to look in the waves that are in Japan or no matter where you go. Like if you don't get good waves for that period of time, is it going to really capture what surfing's about? And and I yeah we were really lucky for that first game, so we did get some swell. It was probably a bit too big and messy, but. Um, it, at least it wasn't dead flat and, and um, spectators got to see what surfing was about. Yeah. And as somebody like yourself who's dealt with 
elite athletes and the high performance center and and, and whatnot um you would have to deal you'd have to help coach people through times of adversity and times when things aren't exactly going their way and and to sort of teach them methods to 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 turn that around so that way they can perform and i guess at the moment if we have a look at just our local community in pottsville there's a lot of people feeling that for the first time and and now it seems to be going extending it for a bit longer where people things aren't really going the way people thought that they were going to go and i wonder from your experience with at, at an elite sporting level what what do you do with those athletes when things aren't going their way and to, to get their mindset right and i wonder if there's any lessons that we can learn that um as a community with what's going on with us yeah i think there is some really um good crossover there and i, I suppose the big one that comes to mind is around that adaptability so um you know knowing that when um, the unpredictable arises, that you can be flexible and um, adapt to that. I think what we find in this at the moment is that we're all um, generally being really adaptable and, and changing flexibility with work and, and homeschooling and, you know, how we shop and interact with friends and family and all of those things. Everyone's been really good at adapting, but it's just happening for so long now. Um, it's the it becomes the, the tiresome, I suppose, of how do we now readapt every time that a change happens. Uh, and I know with the athletes, that's happening with them as well. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, we're really lucky, we've got a, um, a great team uh, in, in high performance, in performance support that has psychology and well-being. And we really make sure we check in regularly um, but one of the things that we did do with athletes was talk about that adaptability and being noticing when you're in pressure but then noticing the time you have to recover um, so you know if we do put them in a pressure drill and and testing sort of how those how they're adapting to the changes or something that's unpredictable um, how they making sure they then have that time to reflect and rest um, and that's probably one thing yeah, we can all do is to be kind to yourself and take time to rest and, and you know, we're all sitting still for a long time but at the same time are we actually, you know, sitting and being still and, and enjoying um, or giving back to yourself with whatever it is that makes you feel um, good. Uh, and then I think the other one is we use this phrase, um, you know, feel good, uh, do good but then people often go, you feel bad and they always say do bad but it's really, it's the feel bad but you can still do good so acknowledging that you can feel um, pretty bad and that's okay because you, that you can still be able to perform um, even though your emotions aren't necessarily perfect and happy and acknowledging that so yeah we do a fair bit around just um, being aware of your emotions and talking to athletes about you know recognizing they might be anxious they might be nervous or they might be scared um, and and being okay with that and knowing that you can still perform even if you feel those things so I think there could be a transfer too for us knowing that yeah we might be angry and upset and feel all those emotions but acknowledging that that's normal and and then yeah now what can we do just to, to fix with that and not try and fight it I suppose I really, really like that. I think particularly the idea of recognizing the downtime and, and making making time, like segmenting time to to recover and to 
to get your mind right. I think um, I think if we spend too much time all shook up and a little bit crazy and then we go home and just do Netflix and chill, I don't know if that's the best way to really relieve the pressure <laughs> just to sit there and stare at a television compared to giving yourself active relaxation time. Yeah, and we're all on our devices so much when we're at home, um, you know, in lockdown and the kids are on, you know, it's the pressure of if you're working at the same time and, you know, or even if you're not working, you've got a pressure of how, you, how you're coping with that financial stress. And there's so many different pressures um, and so it's easy to keep, your, you know, your brain's just racing um, all the time. So, yeah, I think it's important just to try and sit and think of the things that actually do fill your bucket up um, and everyone's different with that. You know, some people might like the long walk on the beach other people might just like sitting under a tree I don't know yeah. <laughs> just think what it is that helps you fill your bucket up probably is the um, yeah because we are all under a fair bit of uh, different types of pressure yeah, I was spe- I was speaking to another parent, um, Verity, the other day, and she said that since lockdowns happened, she's made a mantra that she will, oh, sorry, a daily ritual where she will, I will go to the beach every morning at sunrise, and that has just, and then she said after about eight or nine times, it began to be something that she would really look forward to in her day, and it gave her a purpose for the day, and I thought that was really cool. I'm curious, do you, what, can you give us an insight as to what your what your survival mechanism is for people that might not have one of their own? Uh, yeah, I I'm definitely um, want to uh, dunk my head in the ocean. That's <laughs> whether I go for a surf, go for a swim. Um, uh, that's something that yeah is is really important for me in in a ritual, and I am actually finding more time to do that with lockdown than I would normally. So that's actually a bonus. So I, I'm really taking advantage of that um, and even taking the boys down for a surf um, as well. If, if Yeah, and just being able to um, to do that actually um, more often than every every day has been pretty good since I've been home. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's not something I do all the time. But yeah, I think if you don't surf, it's all, yeah, there's also different things. Even sitting out and having a coffee um, for long, you know, not having my phone with me. That's something I don't normally do. It's kind of like I'm always feeling a bit rushed between things. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a nice, simple one that I've been trying to do every day. Good on you. I love talking to you. I really, really do. <laughs> I could do this all day, but I might, we might close up there. I know you, you're, you're very, very busy and you've got things to do, but thank you so much. I really, really do appreciate your time today. And um, do you have any, you know, anything you want to say to the St. Ambrose community that might be listening or the wider community? Yeah, I just, I think we all, you know, I miss everyone and, and getting to hang out um, and just even have the quick chat between school pickups and different things. And um, yeah, I think just know that, um, yeah, we're all here for each other and look out for one another and I think it's okay to reach out and say I'm not doing so well as well as saying that I'm loving it. Either way, it's, um, yeah, sharing sharing thoughts and how you're coping is a good thing. Thank you so much. What a great what a great conversation. Have a good day. Thank you. See you, mate. Bye. Bye.